Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing fine. I'm I'm bopping along in my chair here because I've got today's song running through my head and and frankly it's giving me an itch in my pants. Well, that's um, you could probably get a cream for that, I should imagine. Um, help yourself stay very clean. Hey, hey. Um, yes. Well, um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, yeah, this week we are talking about uh, I should have known better. So the second song on Hard Day's Night. What do you think of it? I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. Um, and you know what? If you look around, there's there's quite a lot of websites that, that talk about this song. But I've noticed something. They all seem to say the same thing. So our challenge today is to try and come up with something new to say about this song, because it's not necessarily one of the most famous ones. Um, it's not the best song on the album, but it's a long, 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 long way from being the worst song in the album and definitely in the back catalogue. But I wonder if it's one of those kind of forgotten ones. So I just thought I'd, I'd sort of say that some of the things that I've come across on every website that writes about this song, like recorded across 22 takes, a few of which were on the 25th of February, 64. The rest were on the 26th of, of February. Um, the, the, they've taken the mix from, from take 22. Um, it's the last time the Beatles use a harmonica for the introduction, and apparently the harmonica is, is Dylan-esque, but we'll talk about that later. Um, it's the second song both on the soundtrack album and also in the film. That's not a coincidence, by the way. Um, and it's them playing quite enthusiastically in the guards van on, on a train carriage. However, of course, the thing that every website says, let's get it out of the way. It wasn't recorded in a train carriage. It was recorded in a van and the movement was simulated by people rocking it from the outside. Phew, have I missed anything? No, I think that's pretty comprehensive, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So that, that's that's given us just under three minutes worth of material. So we're going to try and find at least another 30 minutes from somewhere. There's your challenge. Good. It's an interesting. So what do you think of it? <laughs> so, well, I think it's an interesting challenge, but it, I, I agree with your enthusiasm for the song. It's it's very quirky and, and rather lovely. Um, I, I also agree with it being a little bit forgotten as well. It's not necessarily the most well-known song. Um, although it was stuck out as a single in a few territories, it wasn't in, in the UK, and it wasn't uh, one that particularly pulled focus, I don't think, even in the movie. It's just pretty much, it's sort of there, and yet it's it's sort of, yeah, it's very perky, it's full of life and energy, it's it's a very simple song, but it, it's... Um... Lovely. I, I really, really like it. I, I think this is Lennon hitting a bit of a sweet spot. And, and I realise that what I'm about to say might slightly contradict it, but um, but it's new content. So we'll go with it. Um, in, in the last one we recorded, which was I nearly said Ticket to Ride there, but that's exactly the mistake I was talking about in the last one. Hard Day's Night. Um, I think I said that Hard Day's Night, I feel fine. Ticket to Ride in my head is slightly interchangeable. When been, been thinking about this song a lot and listening to it a lot, but actually, as it's sort of been working its way through my brain, it's automatically from time to time shunted into Tell Me Why um, or Happy Just to Dance With You. And I think those three songs have a similar feel to them in terms of the, the rhythm, um, in terms of the enthusiasm. Um, so there's something about the songwriting in all three, uh, which in, in my mind makes them a little bit interchangeable. 
However, that doesn't make it any less enjoyable. It's really got quite a lot going for it. And for one thing, lyrically, it's um, John being his most positive. Uh, I know Ticket to Ride, he was all very much like, I love coming home to you. That's great. Um, but when you, you, you see the title of this song, I Should Have Known Better, you then think, oh, is this John about to be cynical? Should have known better than to fall in love with you? because you know what that's bad but no it's like i didn't realize what this kiss would mean it was more than i thought it was going to be how wonderful to hear john being so upbeat and positive after his usual self-loathing absolutely and that positivity is something which uh is really fired through the whole song i mean it's something that the song was very uh effortless at capturing everybody sounds incredibly enthusiastic on this um, far be it, yeah. far be it for me to judge uh, anybody's harmonica playing as I am not a harmonica player myself. Um, it is slightly cat-handed, but that kind of lends itself to the atmosphere. It it is a bit, you know, dodgy, but that's fine. It's it's just fun. It's not meant. This isn't meant to be like a perfect performance. Everything isn't meant to be polished. It's it's a knockabout, and that's where a lot of the energy and enthusiasm comes from. Um, it is nice. It is nice to have that that positivity um, kind of radiating out of the song, and it's one of the nice things about this album is that it is it it's a very, uh, particularly this first side is an incredibly kind of positive experience. It's it's yeah. it's it's absent the usual not just uh, Lennon's uh, self pity, but there's no there's no miserable George. There's there's no oh bugger it all uh, McCartney. It's it's just everybody's having a nice time yeah. and it's 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 incredibly infectious. Well, without wishing to give away too many spoilers, when we do get on to I'm happy just to dance with you, the the key point of our analysis of that song for me will revolve around the fact that George doesn't sound like he's very happy to dance with you. <laughs> but um but you know that that's fine. Um you know, on the, the the harmonica and introduction, I've been listening to the um, the audio book of uh, Kenneth Womack's biography of um, George Martin. The early years, 26 to 66, uh, to be honest, the title is a bit of a misnomer because once it gets into the Beatles period, it kind of stops being about George and more about the Beatles in general. But it's, it's quite useful um, to hear some of those um early thoughts where you know martin was much more in charge in the studio where he would be telling the the beatles say that we need a hook at the start we need something that's going to grab people that's why on can't buy me love you get the the verse uh, sorry you get the chorus first before going into the verse and i think reckon that's why on this we get the the harmonica because it's something that is just different from the rest of the song and it and it just grabs people um, for a shortish introduction before we we get kicking. So I know what you mean. You know, the harmonica is is a, um, you know, a love it or loathe it kind of instrument. Um, but in this case, I, it, even though, it, I, I mean, I, I can't express an opinion on the technical side of things, it works. You know, it works because of the, of the pace of it, because of the introduction to the melody that you're going to get. It just feels like a natural part of the song. Um, so you know, I'm I'm all up for that. Um, I don't mind it. Um, but then I'm I'm not, you know, sort of ma massively disappointed on a Bob Dylan song to hear a bit of harmonica from time to time, or indeed on a Neil Young song as well. But um, you know, that that may just be a a, a touch of a of, a opinion about those artists. 
well, uh, fair enough. I, I think the harmonica does work. I don't want to suggest by saying that it's um, slightly cack-handed that uh, I'm suggesting it doesn't work. I think it's also been long enough since we've had it on a song that it coming back yep. here means that it actually feels a little bit almost refreshing. It, it's got that, that sense that it's, it is pushing the instrumentation and almost everything that we're covering at the moment is basically just guitar, other guitar, bass, drums. Occasionally you'll get a bongo. Occasionally you'll get a little bit of George Martin and the piano or whatever, but that's pretty much. Bell Bell. <laughs> Kai Bell is part of a drum kit. <laughs> but no, 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 no. Kai Bell should be no, part of a Kyle drum Bell kit. Kai Bell is distinctly percussive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it is very much the case that um, that it it's lending a little bit more color, and obviously it's immediately gives it a slightly bluesy feel. Um, but it is lending a little bit more color to the song and just giving it that little bit of uh, extra. And at a time when I think it would be quite easy for the band to fall into formula, particularly given the speed that everything has to be written, just being able to have that like little extra something that they can throw in. All right, well, here's a harmonica. You know, you, you're not going to get that on, um, I don't know, Glad All Over or Fairy Cross of Mercy. It, it gives them a little bit of extra texture, if you'll excuse the expression that will, uh, you know, it just stands the song in really, really good stead. Yep. No, that that makes perfect sense. And and it's quite useful that it, it shows how versatile an instrument it can be, even in, you know, um, the hands of someone who is, um, you know, cack-handed with it. Um, you know, but it is, I suppose it's, you know, the, the song, this song is in, interesting in, in the sense that it shows the the development of the the album material, but also the development of how they're, they're using some instruments as well. Um, you know, showing that extra maturity and maybe the, the advanced maturity is, is from the fact that after a while they realise that, you know what, we, we now need to move on. It's, um, you know, um, it's just another sign of development and we've been doing this podcast we've been recording this podcast for about a year and a half now which is roughly how long the Beatles have been in the recording studio and yet we haven't developed but they have but it might also be um just that that sense of um you know remembering that although there are lots of similarities there's so much that's different in this album and this track say from some of the you know the the filler if you like the album tracks that's on please please me and yet it's in such a short space of time and then if we go forward about another 18 months as well then you know we're through um we're through both Beatles for sale and and help and we're getting ready for for rubber soul we just, you know it's it's absolutely amazing to think how close we are now to some of those much more ambitious albums so it's um it's fascinating and and thinking about the the, the joyous uh, side of it or the perky side of it i mean i i did make reference to um um you know lennon's upbeat lyrics but what i'm not going to do is is mistake lennon's upbeat lyrics for an upbeat lemon you know i'm not going to mistake the singer for for the song as it were i did see a quote somewhere where he was saying oh it's just a bunch of words i put together um that may or may not be true as as i'm sure you're aware there's, um, you know, a fair number of, of Lennon interviews you have to take with a pinch of salt. It may be that he just doesn't want to remember being happy at that period of time because, you know, he ended up not being with, with Cynthia anymore. But you have to admit, there's maybe even subconsciously there's something positive going on here. Um, but, you know, it's, it's nice to hear. Um, it's nice to hear John. And I think it makes a difference 
with his singing as well. I, I, for me, it's much more noticeable how much more I enjoy his singing when he's, you know, he is being positive. Well, firstly, I, I, I want to say that I do not in any way, shape or form agree with the fact that we haven't developed over the last year and a half. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just not going to say what direction I think we've developed in. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we certainly not developed in response to audience feedback, have we? No, which we... reminds me, audience. Let's <laughs> let's you know. Feel free to um um you know to to get in touch and let us know what you like, and heaven forfend what what you don't like. Um, you know, it would be nice to know that that um. I mean, much as I enjoy sitting here talking to you, JG, it's always lovely to spend time with a um with an old friend. But um, yeah, it would also be nice to know that. There's somewhere out there um, someone who who appreciates what we're doing. I swear to God, we haven't been drinking. Well, no, I can't say that. I can't even really say that I haven't been drinking. Um, yeah, no, I completely, I, not... <laughs> I completely agree. Um, it would be lovely to hear from our, our audience. So please, please get in touch, everyone. Um, also, when you say um, that there are certain Lennon interviews that need to be taken with a pinch of salt, I think that's all Lennon interviews. Oh, yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but I agree about the positivity. I think, um, you know, it, when I was talking about the first side of this album as, as being sort of very up, it's very infectious, it's very kind of positive. But I mean, you know, looking at the slightly broader picture, it makes sense. You know, they've had two absolutely knockout albums of Broken America. They are making their first feature film. They are, to, to quote the inevitable, they are, you know, toppermost of the poppermost. They are you know, they're all the way up there. And and so much of that enthusiasm does feel like it's captured in the first side of, of this album. And this, this song was a perfect introduction uh, of that. So I suppose contextually, um, we should be aware of the fact that they have, they're basically just back from America when they're in the recording studio yeah, for yeah. this. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to suggest that they're just off the plane, but it's not that far off, which I think makes it, um you know all the more interesting uh in that respect that we've got we've got this you know sudden positivity because of course hard day's night was recorded at the very end of um you know the session uh for the album but this was was right towards the start so um and what i don't know is um when they were asked to to put together some songs for the film just how much of a steer they got from um richard lester about the the kind of like the tone of the songs or whether he just fitted um the story and fitted his his sort of ideas around the material that he presented um i've not been able to um to find that anywhere but um i'm sure there must be must be something related to it you would have thought that he would have been presented with these songs and gone i'll use that i'll use that i'll use that especially because it sounds like he was an absolute nightmare in the studio and giving George George Martin plenty of instructions to to pass on to the Beatles, most of which I think he um, he managed to ignore. And in fact, um, there was something in in the biography that suggested that when he was when George Martin was conducting the orchestra for the um, for the score, that Richard Lester came in at one point and um, and actually scolded him, saying that that what he was doing wasn't good enough in front of the the whole orchestra. Um, I never realised that he was quite so. Um, um, quite so picky. <laughs> that's a that's a very polite way of calling somebody a prick. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent work. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know either. It was something that we can maybe do some research into before we get to our our massive uh, movie episode for uh, stuffology, since we will doubtless be yeah. uh, covering all that in great detail. Although, again, if any of our audience have any further information on that, please get in touch and um, and give us the background details that we clearly haven't been able to dig up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, although I mean, we're, although this will be released in, in February, we're recording in December. So, you know, it's pantomime season. So when you say, yeah, we'll do some research, my, my instinct is, oh, no, we won't. Um, but... You know, that's fine. I'll, I'll see if there's my a instinct is to agree with you. Yeah, I'll see if there's a biography out there of um, of Richard Lester, which I'm, I'm you know about to go on on Amazon now. Um, Live research. Um, yeah, Richard Lester book. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. Richard Lester, British filmmakers. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll have a look at that. The beat was in Richard Lester's Hard Day Night, a complete pictorial, oh, pictorial record. <laughs> I don't pictures. I want words. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I think this is interesting how different parts of the Beatles story connect up here. And it's another one of those connections where there's something that's feeding forward, but something that's feeding back. Um, I've, I've seen it suggested that, um, that, that writing the song was, was based around Frank Ifield's number one hit, Wayward Wind. Um, which I've listened to, and I can see why it's, it's rhythmic. It's, it's an old country and western song, um, but the Frank Ifield version of it does have a similar kind of rhythm to um, um, to I Should Have Known Better, which is interesting. Of course, you know, the Beatles have a big connection with uh, Frank Ifield. They were originally on on one of their early package tours had Frank Ifield. Um, um, headlining and I think there was a story about how I'm going to say Paul it might not have been Paul but we'll just say Paul was apparently seeing um, Frank Ifield's girlfriend at the time so there was a, a bit of sort of dislike between them um, but you know in terms of, of, of feeding well actually you know I'll, I'll sort of stick with the Frank Ifield one for the moment because actually that song has some interesting covers it, obviously it's not a Frank Ifield original um, but there's a Neil Young version of it which is um, which is really interesting because it slows it back down to a um, um, you know that that sort of country old country rhythm, but it's also on an album in the eighties that is reflecting on olden days. So it's kind of interesting in twenty years that that song and that rhythm and that style of music has therefore come about the old times in in just a short period of time. But in terms of feeding forward, we obviously have the the Patty Boyd story, um, because you know to sort of just to switch on to the film, because I would like to talk about the the, the film um, part of this because I actually think it's a really good sequence. I think it's really clever. Oh yeah, gotcha. um, I, I love how it's shot. Um, she is one of the um, the schoolgirls who's looking on in awe as as the Beatles play and this was when um she met uh, George Harrison for the well I don't know whether it was for this song but certainly on the set of Hard Day's Night was when um the two of them met and of course Patty Boyd is for many reasons a big part of the um the Beatles story in that sense as well so there's there's a lot of things going on here um you know and that Frank Frank Ifield song was was a number one in in 63 so, you know, you can sort of see why it would have been 
something that they would have been interested in in using and developing. Um, and here's one for you and for you alone, JG, you will like this. Um, and it's um, it's just a reference to a song that I know you like, because apparently a wayward wind is another way of referring to Wanderlust. Ah, well, there you go. That's uh, that is a great song. That is a great song. Wanderlust, yeah. that is to say. Uh, I mean, yeah. we're, we're Windows Spider as well, but 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 Wanderlust is, re yeah. is really something special. Yeah, I, I was looking at um, um, just on on Wanderlust, and you know, I've not mentioned it for at least thirty minutes, but um, Tug of War, which was one of my entry points for for McCartney in in the early eighties. But I was reading um, the University of Liverpool's Journal of Beatles Studies, which has some really really interesting things in there. But they they also have this um, this article in there where various academics have um, got their own section um, in an article that refers to 80 at 80. So it's about 80, um, oh, I should have looked a bit closer, McCartney songs um, at, Yeah, now that he's hit the age 80. And, and as I was going through the list, it became more and more apparent that there was absolutely nothing of, of, uh, of tug of war, which which really disappointed me. So I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's classic McCartney, um, but there's some just some lovely little touchstones in there for me, which uh, which, you know, so I, I wonder if that's that's a bit of a, a neglected classic. So um, what I'm thinking of doing is joining up the Beatles dots, therefore, and and um, um, having a having a tweet with um, uh, Mr. Eggpod and saying, anyone done tug of war yet? Can I come on and do tug of war? Love tug of war. Come on. I, I could talk about dress me up as a robber for whew, at least two minutes. <laughs> I really like Dress Me Up as a Robber. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that is such a good album. I just love that album so much. I realise we're going slightly off topic, but um, yeah. with, the, with the obvious exception of the very last song, uh, it is basically just straightforwardly brilliant. I, 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 I love it. It's so good. Anyway. The Pound is Sinking, a song for our times. I love The Pound is Sinking. That's such a great song. It's such yeah. a simple thing, but it's done so well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back, back anyway. to the back to the train carriage. Yes, back to, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. Miss Miss Boyd what, is waiting for us. Yeah, well, actually, it's it's more more Mr. Lester really, because I, I I love the fact that um um they're they're playing a game of cards, sort of presumably an illicit game of cards in in the guards van away from everybody else, um and they're having fun. John is cheating, although, you know, not really very convincingly by pulling the card out from his sleeve, although it doesn't ever appear to be in his sleeve, but never mind. But actually, then you start to get that sort of, you know, nodding. You, they're almost like in the rhythm of, of the people shaking the, the van outside. Um, and it just then starts to become them playing instead. And, and I really like that, especially, of course, at the end, as it fades they go back to playing cards. It's almost like this is some sort of um, little fantasy sequence, which is just so imaginative um, and and such fun, even to the point where um, Wilfred Bramble, who may need a bit of explaining for our, our you know, our younger and non-British listeners, um, you know, his curmudgeonly um, character of Paul McCartney's granddad is by the end of it, nodding along and and seemingly enjoying the song as well that's just how infectious it is yeah if you can get uh if you get wilfred bramble nodding along to something you're on you're on, you're on a real streak 
Um, I, I I agree with you. I think that whole sequence is utterly charming. It's it's such it's such a delight, and it's so it's one of those things that you know when you talk about the Beatles from this kind of vintage, maybe sixty four, sixty five. Um, you know all the cliches about the cheeky chappies and how how easy they are and how funny they are. It all kind of blends into one. But it's when you get to watch a sequence like that one in the movie that you kind of get past the faff of it and actually think but it is true there is something just unbelievably charming about it all it's it's incredibly i I don't want to use the word infectious again but i'm going to it's just incredibly infectious and joyful and perky and all the other all the other adjectives that we can choose and and it kind of bypasses that kind of you know cynical press kind of hack you know description and and becomes the real thing and sometimes it's just when you get to see those sequences you just see four people well and Wilfred Bramble having a whale of a time and it's it's utterly delightful I, I like it because they're, they're all facing each other which is not a situation you would normally find them in when they're they're playing to, to the cameras something that perhaps they might have done in, in the studio or seemingly might have done in, in the studio from time to time but what it means then is that when it's being shot you usually either get all four of them in, admittedly one with the back of the head, or you get at least two in. In Paul's case, that's normally him with um, either Wilfred Bramble on his left or from the side, and um, and then with George over his shoulder. Um, but you get these lovely shots of, of George in the background of Paul and George in the background of John, and you can just see there's a lot of love for each other. They're really enjoying Maybe they're just good actors, which we know isn't true, but they're really enjoying being in each other's company. It's it's a it's a wonderful little little thing to have them so tight physically, but also you know enjoying what they're doing so well. Well, I, I think that's what makes the sequence so charming is the fact that they are just clearly having so much fun doing it, and and that's that's what I think the audience that's what we're responding to. It's just yeah, four guys just having a whale of a time, and the 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 pleasure of it, just doing it really for the sake of doing it. It's their first time out. It's a long time before they, you know, they're not going to become jaded by the process. They're not going to be fed up with it or long days or you know freezing their arse off playing around in the Swiss snow or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just like yeah, they're playing a really fun song in a really fun way, and that's really. That's it. It's it's wonderful. I think um, another indication of of how much they're enjoying it as well is that you see Paul McCartney miming along, but he doesn't actually sing on this song. Yeah, it's almost like he just he just can't <laughs> he just can't help himself. The, the, oh, there's one feature that we haven't actually talked about, and I, I feel it necessary to to mention at this point, which is George Harrison's. Well, I was going to say inspired guitar solo. <laughs> That's. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 not the it's not the finest lead guitar solo I think I've ever heard. But again, it's exactly that thing of uh, well, of both what we were talking about the harmonica and the kind of the charm of that whole sequence in the movie is that it's just really simple and just it's the right thing for that that song. It's not flashy. It's just it's just the melody line, the vocal melody line, but like played in a twelve string, um, and that's it. And it's it again. It's kind of charming just just for its straightforward simplicity although it's, it's noticeable when they revisit the song later in the film for the the performance part of it um when that solo is happening for most of the time it's focused on john he's quite clearly not playing the solo that but, happens um, a, that happens a lot if you watch a lot of the um 
like the TV coverage of them. Mm. Uh, that happens a lot. They'll, 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 they'll play the song, it'll get to the instrumental break, George will step forward to do the solo, and the camera will resolutely fix itself on, on John or Paul. Um, it, it's happened a few times. So, yeah, um, I don't know if that's just kind of unfamiliarity with the way that um, songs are constructed by the people who are trying to film it, um, but it's it's a constant feature. And once you've noticed it, it becomes very hard not to notice it. Um, so I highly recommend you keep an eye out for it for any like future clip. Like it happens on the Ed Sullivan, one of the Ed Sullivan songs. It, it happens. I can't remember which one now, um, but one mm. of them. The George steps up. He's got his big solo. He's standing directly in between J Paul and John. Nothing. No sign of him at all. He might as well not be on stage. There you go, listener. That's the kind of content you're not getting from those websites as we approach the half hour mark. <laughs> I thought we've done very well so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, certainly, you know, it, it kind of um, heart back in terms of that development, heart back to some of the struggles that we had on on a couple of the uh, or on the earlier albums for a couple of songs to hit the 30 minute mark. I think there's no problem here. This is just a sign of, of, um, of how good this song actually is. Yeah. I thought you'd be developed. Um, do you know what? Yeah. The, the thing about Wilfred Bramble makes me laugh though, because, um, um, British viewers will know him, um, um, from, um, his sitcom, uh, Steptoe and Son. God, I almost got it for a moment there. Um, where he played that dirty old man. Um, and what's interesting, of course, is that in that, which was from the 60s through into the 70s, he really looked like a very, very old man. Um, and yet in this film, he looks 80, but he was only about 50. He's just one of those people who always looks old. And and I think also there's a generational thing as well in the sense that um, people in their 50s these days don't look like people in their 50s used to. I'll take Thank that, God. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, given that I turn 50 next month. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. You go. I definitely don't look like Wilfred Bramble. I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm God's gift, but, I, you know, it could be worse. But then again, I didn't have to live through World War II and, and smoke 80 fags a day. So, you know, it's all it's all relative, I suppose. Well, in fairness, I don't think anyone was really forced to smoke 80 fags a day, but... Um... There you go. Um, yeah, I suppose I suppose the war did funny things to people, didn't it? I suppose hmm? it did. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I suppose one of the, the things that we ought to do is is talk about some of the the normal things that we might talk about. And and, and that's where we, we hit some um, interesting news on the cover front. Have you have you looked into any any of the covers of this song? Not really, to be honest. Um, but nothing nothing kind of left out as seeming particularly inspiring, I have to admit. Well, I'm not necessarily going to suggest I've, I've got one that's inspiring, but I've got one that's that's interesting that I didn't know existed. Okay. Um, and that's from um, late 1965 for their third album of the year, um, the Beach Boys Party album. Um, the, Beach Boys covered it. the Beach Boys covered it. Now, this this was, like I said, it was their third album of, of 1965. And they, they'd done a Christmas album in 64. So they didn't want to go and do another one of those. So they basically had a sort of a lo-fi type party style recording. Um, and that's sort of, um, you know, indicated by if you look at the, um, you know, the personnel on there. Al Jardine uh, sings, does acoustic six and 12 string guitars and plays the ashtray. <laughs> you know, and it's this the, there aren't drums but there's lots of you know bongos and castanets and and that sort of thing um so you know it's a covers album basically and and you know 
I didn't realize that um, this is the album that, that we get Barbara Ann from as well. And Barbara Ann was was a cover because in my mind, that's sort of like classics, classic Beach Boys territory. I'd have thought that as being something from 63 or 64. But you've got um, um, you've got a couple of Beatles covers. Actually, you've got three Beatles covers covers on there. Um, you've got um, an Everly Brothers song. You've got um, the times they are changing. Um, as well as you know, sort of a few um, older uh, type songs as well. So it's, it's sort of a really kind of interesting mix. But you have I Should Have Known Better, uh, Tell Me Why, and You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. Um, and actually listening to it, it, it sounds, it's not that dissimilar to, to the Beatles version, but it does sound like a, a bunch of people who are, are just having a good time, which again, isn't that dissimilar to the Beatles version? But the thing that I find really interesting about this is you've got this party album. And this is about, you know, 18 months or a year or so after they stopped doing um, surf music. This is their 10th studio album. Um, I'm assuming from the fact that I've trailed it like that, that you could probably then guess what their 11th studio album was. I'm going to go ahead and say Pet Sounds. There you go. And what I should have done there is said, name a name a, um, a Beach Boys album, and, and it would have had the same the same impact, wouldn't it? Pretty much. So they, they go from from a bunch of of party covers, um, almost. I'm going to go for it now. Beach Boys fans, um, Beach Boys fans, I suggest you um you don't listen to the next few seconds. Um, you know, it's it's like they're doing a Joy Bunny mega mix. Ouch. Imagine that. Right. So uh, Beach Boys fans, you can come back in the room now. Um, they go from that to Pet Sounds, which is a fascinating development, um, which then just sort of got, got me thinking again, of course, because you've got, uh, just as a reminder, that um, in 64, when the Beatles are recording this, because the kinks haven't broken yet, the Rolling Stones are having hits, but they don't start recording or um, putting their own recordings out as singles until um, 65. So, is so far ahead of, of everybody else it's it's just amazing how much they have changed everything um it's just that that sort of nice little reminder there um the other the other cover that um is is worth mentioning in my book is um legendary folk artist phil ox um who i only know from um well only knew from you know, my dad kind of like people like tom paxton so you know he would have you know mentioned a few of those people you know sort of in the same um you know um uh the, the same sort of uh, tone as, as someone like pete seeger um so you know but phil ox version of it is um it, it's it's quite similar it's just one person harmonica guitar version of um i should have known better but it's it's the same rhythm it's the same tempo there's there's no attempt to to change it although there is a recording from 1971 of phil ox and and john lennon together uh, having a chat in a, in a hotel bedroom and then um, um phil ox is singing to uh, john lennon so you know they did meet at some point which is interesting and the only other thing i know about him is um uh, billy bragg has a song called i dreamt i i um, i dreamt i saw phil ox one night um from one of his less impressive albums and i say that as a huge billy bragg fan i think it's off the internationally but um which is unlistenable <laughs> i'm i'm not going to argue that point with you good yes um i have nothing else to add i don't think this was a um um 
um, a song they played live. I've, I've not looked it up, but it doesn't feel like it. I couldn't find any uh, footage that didn't come from Hard Day's Night for it. Okay, that's that's interesting, isn't it? And again, sort of indicative that uh, of of a few things. Well, firstly, of course, that remember that the live act was only ten or twelve songs. Yeah. So they've only got a limited number to throw in. So you might as well just go for the um, um, for the absolute biggies. Yeah, and although I mean this is a fun song, it it, it could easily be inserted into any any concert. I think with uh, without any problem. I don't know that there's quite enough of it to make them want to do that. No, no. I, I don't mean that as an insult. As I think we no. both made very clear, uh, we both really like this song. Uh, it's just you know, it's there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, bear in mind, of course, that at this point they've got. Um, about what, 30, um, well, I suppose if you include this album, um, you know, about 40 um, album tracks plus some singles, B-sides, you know, various covers, uh, like Long Tall Sally, that although they record in the same session as this, doesn't go on on the album, you know, so they've got quite a repertoire of, of songs. So there's a massive amount to, um, um, to fit in to such a short, um, such a short act. So, um, oh, they did play it. There you go. Set List FM. Set List FM. About 50 odd times. Oh, okay. But that's quite a long way down the list. So, um, you know, not not exactly massive. Um, fewer times than things like um, I'm a Loser, which is, I think, you know, quite an indication. So, well, yeah. Um, yeah. Nice song. Um, but it's Set List um goes from Mar end of March um, 64 through to November 64. And after that, uh, nothing. So, um, you know, that's that. I think that's about right, really. That's about the longevity of it. Yeah, that seems that's fair. about the longevity of it in everybody else's minds as well, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people have forgotten this, which is a shame. Well, I hope we've done something to redress that balance. And we've managed to get some some original content into the, our discussion of it. And we've managed to scrape up to, well, it's going to be pretty much 40 minutes. That's that's pretty good for this song, I reckon. JG, can I ask a question? You can ask a question. Does that sound like you're, you're wrapping things up and saying stop talking now? Well, if you've got more points that you wish to, to add into the discussion of this song, then please feel free to do so. Um, no, because the only other thing that I, I could mention is that we've got lots of oh, 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 lots of lyrical filler, woes and oohs. But you know what? I don't think people need to hear that. No. Well, that's a bit late for that now but okay <laughs> i can always fix it in post well i don't think people have made it this far so um if anyone did hear that please let us know at any of the places that jg is about to mention well before we do a mention we have to do a rating so i appreciate the the seamless and smooth transition but uh go please okay right so rating um it, it's worth reminding people that that we're doing a completely subjective rating out of 10 for each song um, and what we normally end up doing is picking a number and then comparing it to the songs that we've previously given previously given that number to. Um, I say that because I've been listening to um, another Beatles pod this week, which I really enjoyed, by the way. But they had a, um, a scoring system that didn't seem to make any sense. They they were sort of talking about the you know the music and the lyrics and um, and the production and things like that. 
and you know I, I didn't really get a sense of of why one one thing got one score and one thing got another so with that in mind I'm going to be a fairly generous one on this and I, I think that Hard Day's Night I, I only gave a 7 out of 10 to last time because um, you know just for those who are new um, I'm leaving a bit of room for, for some of the, the greatness that's to come um, but I'm going to give it a 7 again I, I think it's up there for me. I think it's it's as much, if not more, fun than the Hard Day's Night. Okay, that's that's really interesting because that's exactly what I'm going to give it, um, and for exactly the same reason, we find we find ourselves very much in sync this week. Um, yeah, I, it's just such a it's such a fun, bouncy little song. I just love it, and it's it, I must be honest, along with everybody else, I had pretty much forgotten about its existence before we. We came to it in the podcast as well. I, I didn't really remember it, uh, but that does feel like a little bit of an injustice. I think it's a, a, a fabulous little song, and I'm I'm very glad to have rediscovered it. I'm glad you're glad. And so am I. And now, please let us know uh, any of the places that JG is <laughs> about to mention. This is the kind of smooth professionalism that you don't get in other podcasts as well. No, <laughs> no. Fantastic. Well, uh, you can contact us by email, and please do contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter. Please also contact us on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scot. You can get in touch with me or not. It's not really relevant. Also check out uh, my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert, me apparently, go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show. Next week, we are going to be covering If I Fell. But until then, keep listening.